Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. My guest today is a successful serial entrepreneur, a best-selling author, husband and father, and has one very big goal in mind, to help people elevate their lives both professionally and personally. Bob Glazer, welcome to my podcast. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me. Bob, at the time that we're recording this show, the world is still in the midst of COVID-19. You are a CEO of Acceleration Partners, which is a global performance marketing agency and co-founder and chairman of Brand Cycle. How are you leading your teams through this pandemic? This has been the biggest challenge of my career. Gen X doesn't get talked about a lot, but this is now my third non-garden variety recession. I graduated right into the dot-com burst. Then we had the Great Recession and, and now this. And this is even a little, little different. And I'm obviously at a different point with a, a large team in running the business. But we're learning as we go and, and trying to really balance both long and short term and what needs to be done with employee sort of health and, and wellness. I, everything's sort of a, a juxtaposition in terms of keeping people informed, keeping them confident. So it's a challenge. We're very fortunate. We were a fully remote company before this. I think even the companies that can go remote aren't necessarily set up to do that. So we know how to do that. People weren't, they weren't doing how to do that with their kids, you know, running around behind them. So that, that's a little bit new. And then we also work in digital marketing and e-commerce, which is on the whole doing a lot better than most other sectors. It's a very scary time. You are a regular contributor to Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Thrive Global. And one of the articles that I've read that you wrote, you talk about today's successful leaders are more concerned about getting it right than being right. What do today's leaders need to do to get it right when there is no playbook for what's happening in this world? I mean, you talked about the three different machinations you've had, but yeah. what do we need to be doing? Yeah, it's tricky. I'll, I'll try to keep politics out of this. Um, because I think it's interesting watching different governmental responses and, and private sector responses and you reward making right decisions. So I think the leader today needs to get a lot of feedback and get a lot of input, but then be decisive and say, that is my decision and I accept the responsibility and or, or the outcome. It's interesting for me to read the letters from CEOs and to see the different approaches by which companies have laid people off because I've seen a ton of class and we've seen some stuff that's also just what you'd expect. And one of the CEOs said, look, we had a restructure in the business. We really needed 30% less people. Your teams obviously fought for you. Like I made the ultimate decision on everything. And if you want someone to blame, blame me. It was my call. It's not your boss's call just like a refreshing approach. You just don't see this kind of own it mentality. It's gotten better. But what I tried to describe to people early on, I really felt like it was wartime rules. You had to have a rubric. You had to have a values-based rubric where you can make decisions because it'd be like, Liz, here's a decision. And if you don't make it in two days, now it's twice as hard. I think leaders needed to get the input and then they need to make the decision and own it and move on. And so it's a good time to check your values. We even rewrote a sort of operating principles, value hierarchy that we shared with the team that said, this is how we're going to make decisions kind of during this time. You won't like all of them, but here's how we're going to make them. And you really spoke to something there a moment ago when you're talking about the values and the principles, because those are some of the things that you talk about in two of your national best-selling books, Elevate and Performance Partners. And you talk about the four capacities, yeah. spiritual, intellectual, 
physical and emotional and how all of those interplay right now as leaders to making those decisions. Can you briefly outline each of those and why they matter so much today? You touched on it a moment ago. Spiritual capacity is understanding your personal core values, what you want most. It's very hard to lead if you're not clear on that. It's very hard to build an authentic culture if you don't actually clear about what you value and what you want. A lot of people, I think, are really achieving and chasing a heart in a direction that provides them no internal satisfaction. They're trying to someone else's definition of happiness or, or success. I've done a lot around sort of identifying your core values. I'm in the final touches of putting together a course on this because I provide a lot of resources, but it's the thing I get asked the most. Like, okay, I want to be able to articulate my core values. How do I do that? And it's a process, but it makes decision-making really easy. When you get to that list and you do a retroactive kind of lay it over your life around really good and really bad decisions, you'll find it almost fits perfectly for choices you make. That starts with what do you value? You need something to get out of bed every day that you're really motivated by. Intellectual capacity is kind of like your operating system. It's how do you learn, execute with accountability, not about doing more, but think about upgrading your processor to, to do it faster. Everything I have seen is that the companies that pivoted quickly, restaurants is a great example. I think people in the event space in restaurants, they've either taken the hibernation approach or the rapid pivot approach. And I think the people that just pivoted they went from knowing nothing about delivery to learning about all the takeouts, changed their whole strategy, curbside drop-off. They're not having a record year, but they're surviving to fight uh, another day. So that's intellectual capacity. Look, physical capacity right now, keeping your health, eating well. The funniest meme I've seen in, is, well, I've seen a lot of funny memes, but one of them said your, your quarantine alcoholic name is your first name plus your last name, right? So <laughs> I mean, I think people are really in need of energy right now. And while they're doing a good job working out, they're probably working 12 hours a day, not sleeping. We've been going hard on the ice cream over here. All of that stuff affects how you feel. When you don't feel well, you're lethargic or you're stressed, your relationships to other people are, are weakened, emotional capacity, your ability to learn and stay focused on what's most important. I've even shared with my team I think it's really important to be vulnerable around. A lot of us as leaders put on a brave face. I shared something about having kind of my bottom out one night and just kind of getting into bed hopeless at like eight o'clock. You know, just I had it. I was like mentally and physically exhausted. And someone on my team said, because I had said that, she felt comfortable sharing with her team. She was kind of holding up the whole world with a smile. They assumed she had all her stuff together. She didn't have all her stuff together. So it really cascades. And then and then the last is emotional, which is the things that we don't control, right? So relationships, how do we interact with relationships, factors that we don't control, I think really important. You know, we've stressed with our team during this time. There are things you don't control. There's a lot more than you control than what you do. I, I talking to a CEO yesterday, and I've seen this issue, and we've had it where the team is so stressed out about losing their jobs that they're providing poor customer service to clients who might fire them because of the poor customer service. So it's easy to be like, oh, look, it's all bad. I'm like, no, no, every interaction is something you control. Keeping the clients happy is something you control. We can't control the virus, but we can decide whether we launch online delivery, we pivot our offering, but we really do control a lot about what happens. And relationships too. If someone was an energy vampire before this started, someone who just drains you down, they're gonna be pulling you underwater right now and, and exhausting you, so. 
And I, I love that term when I first heard you speak about it, the energy vampires, because I think we probably all have yeah. someone like that in our lives. And it's so important. And this has given people time to say, wow, how am I spending my time? How am I pivoting? What is in my control? And I love how all four of those capacities really are intertwined and interconnected. You have another book coming out this fall, Friday Forward, which yeah. actually started out as just a simple note to your employees. What was your initial goal? And share with us what's happened to now lead it to your third book, But because it, it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, so Friday Forward is kind of like a Star Wars prequel, uh, if I explain <laughs> what happened, not implying it is on the scale of Star Wars, but... Uh, it might be, Bob, Fr it might Fr be. <laughs> Friday Forward started as a note to my team about five years ago after I had really started working on my morning routine, trying to write, read something positive, came out of sort of a leadership retreat that really reinforced those principles. And the reading positive stuff that I was given, as I like to say, it was a little more rainbow and unicorny than I liked. I liked the sort of a little tough love of like motivation that makes you think. And so I decided to combine those activities and I started on a Friday and I'd send a note to my team that was distributed of 40 people you know, it was just about improvement or something about getting better. And it started to take a form and it had a quote. And I really didn't think anyone was paying attention, but I enjoyed writing it. And I did start to get feedback from people saying, you know what, I went and I did this thing that you talked about. Or the other thing was I sent this to my husband or my wife. I sent it to my wife and she shared it with her company. So it was, it was kind of like going outside the company. I was at an event talking to some other CEOs about best practice. And I said, you might want to think about doing something like this because I'm getting good feedback. It's a good way to stay in touch with employees. They said, yeah, we'll throw us on the list and we'll take a look. And one started his own. The other three said, this is great. We'll just send it to our companies. So I thought it might have some external value. I, I was managing at BCC. I put it on a, like a newsletter template that still looked like an email. I threw a couple hundred friends and family on it and I expected like unsubscribe, you know, what the hell is this emails? But I got the same feedback. People were forwarding it. Someone wrote an article in Inc. that this is the only newsletter I ever read. 2,000 people signed up in a couple of days and it started to take off whereby it reaches a couple hundred thousand people in almost 60 countries each week. I actually went to write this Friday Ford compilation book three years ago. I talked to a bunch of agents. I said, I want to pull together a bunch of these stories. And they said, we like your writing, but no one likes a compilation. You know, thanks, but no thanks. And then I finally talked to an agent who was newer and he said, look, love your writing, love these stories. No one buys a compilation, but I think you have a story here. And so what happened was I started thinking about what were the changes I had made in my life? What was the strategy that we're using with our employees to sort of invest in them holistically? What had I seen in all these other top performers and why were these emails impacting people that I did not know all around the world? And I rewrote that book three times before we ended up on sort of Elevate, which was, hey, this is, this is the essence of this thing called capacity building. So after I wrote that book, I actually went back and was talking to my publisher and you know, the book had a lot of success. And I said, you know, all the Friday forwards really fall into one of these categories. I actually think now it's time to go take the best of those stories for five years because half the people have probably signed up in the last 12 months. They haven't even seen this stuff organize them across those capacities. So if people who are into the concept want to now see the stories that reinforce that. It wasn't the right time three years ago, but hopefully it's the right time now. And also my audience and platform is now just a lot bigger. And publishers like that, that's for sure. Yeah. You carry over a lot of those same philosophies and principles to your own personal life. 
you're a father of three, and you started a tradition, I believe five years ago with your family, that at the beginning of each new year, as a family, you sit down and create your vision boards. What has that experience been like? It's been pretty crazy if you go look back at some of the stuff that, that we've put on there and that I've seen kind of come true. I, I actually walk back and look at the old ones sometimes. I've actually found that a year or two later sometimes it really like the hit rate is, is pretty high. But it was really great for the kids to just think about goal setting in a visual sense. I think making a list of goals, you know, when you're five, seven, 10, 13 isn't, isn't exciting. But one of my favorite stories in the Friday Four book was this whole story about my how my son and I ended up at the Super Bowl and all of the stuff that actually was on his vision board down to like the tickets and the tech, like all kinds of very weird stuff that when we got home, we both got like chills because we looked at all these random things that were on his board. Put what you want out there in, in the universe. It keeps you focused on it. As I always say, it's like kind of like Black Jetta Syndrome. When you buy a car, you suddenly see that car any, everywhere. So if you're focused on it, you think about it, you make decisions. But there's also some stuff I just can't explain that's kind of come to fruition from some of these things. And hopefully that's something they'll carry over with them. You know, even if they don't do them their whole life or maybe when they have kids, but just thinking about goal setting and being intentional about what they're hoping to do. What you're actually talking about and tapping into is often known as the law of attraction. And yeah. certainly not everybody buys into that concept, but you have been quoted as saying, even if you don't believe in the law yeah. of attraction, changing our awareness can make a difference in what we see and do. What do you mean by that? So that was the Black Jetta syndrome, right? That I was saying. That's one of my favorite quotes. Look, if you believe in the law of attraction, or, or if you don't, great, that's gravy. But the turkey is, when you see that over and over, if I walk into my room and I see this thing that I, it triggers me, oh, you know what? I didn't call Dan and ask him about those tickets. Like you said, when you buy a car and you suddenly see that car everywhere, there are not more of those cars on the road. You just have a heightened awareness to it. For those people who want to think the law of attraction is rubbish, I would say, great, do this for the fact that every time you walk by it and see it, it will trigger a reminder of you of, oh, you know what? I said I was going on this hike. I haven't researched the hike. I haven't booked the thing yet. I think keeping what you want in front of you is important. It is. I'm curious, what did you want to be as a child when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer. And then I, you know, I didn't want to be like your dad. And, and then I interned for two law firms in college and they made me get coffee and were rude to me <laughs> and all stuff. And I, I hated it. And then I started getting involved with business and I realized I just loved sort of the business side of it. So I fully went to college with the intention that I, I was going to be a, a lawyer. I might have enjoyed law school. I, I am not a good test taker. I am a real world learner, not a classroom learner. Probably was not the right choice for me. Well, obviously, it's been a good choice for you. You say that you've had many changes and you've had some probably pivotal turning points in your life, whether those turning points were choices that you made or they were made by circumstances in your life. Has there been anything that you can point to that was like, that was a pivotal moment besides deciding you weren't going to be a lawyer? Yeah, there were two key, I think, moments for me. The first was when I went abroad in college. I just have always had a hard time learning something that I don't want to learn. Probably partially a function of ADD, but I just, I can't pretend to be interested in something I'm not. And just the traveling and the learning about business and the internship. And I just, 
at that point realized I loved learning. But when you also think of coming out of kind of sophomore year in college, like I was done with my prereq and, you know, I probably barely had a 3.0. I realized what I wanted to do. I created my own major, took advanced business classes, and I got almost a 4.0 in the last couple of years. So something about that flipped for me. I had just really been bored in school for most of my life. I didn't realize that I loved to learn. I just didn't like what I was learning. And once I realized what I wanted to learn, I sort of went all in on that. So that, that was a huge flipping point for me. That's a powerful uh, lesson, Bob. That's a really powerful lesson for everyone, actually. And what was the yeah. second point? What was the second well, point? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one of my kids had a history teacher. My history teachers looked like history. And one of my kids had like a seventh grade history teacher who was sort of young and hip, and we were there on teacher's night. And he said, your kids won't remember most of what they learned in this class. I really just want to make them remember that they loved learning history. And I just thought that was such a profound statement. Even as we deal with this pandemic right now, and I think a lot of parents are really frustrated that teachers aren't teaching. I mean, I've even said to my kids, like, I I don't care, like, it's cooking, like, go on Khan Academy, like, do something that you love and go learn from the guru on it. As long as it's not video games, like, that was my third one, then, you know, my son's doing this cooking thing with a friend. Most people that are great specialize in what they love and don't worry about the other stuff that's a pattern that you see. I'm more interested in they figure out what it is that they love to do. And I'm happy for them to double and triple down on that. As long as it's not being a professional fort player, which that's what my 11 year old thinks he's going to do too at this point. Funny, I was explaining to him, I'm like, it's kind of the same odds as LeBron James making the NBA. You probably need a backup plan. Um, (laughs) You've been very successful, obviously reaching a lot of your potential. You have been ranked number two CEO for a small business by Glassdoor. But I imagine there had to have been some failures along the way. Name one failure and how it moved you forward. A lot of people's failures are repeated failures. One of the things that a lot of founders or CEOs of a visionary component are good at is sort of seeing how things are going to play out. You know, they're not good at kind of managing the trains, but they can kind of see a car crash around the corner because you see how all the cars are lined up and, and all that stuff. I think a lot of times over my career and we were starting the business, I saw that. I saw when people were starting to become problems. I saw wherever and I felt strongly about it, but it was easier not to act on it or it was easier to say, well, I'm sure they'll be fine. Or I just wasn't willing to take the pain of an awkward or difficult discussion. And I have some leaders on my team who are going through the same process where, you know, they got, she's like, I got talked out of this a year ago with a person that I knew wasn't right. And now that's a much bigger disaster than, than it probably might've been. All these situations, I knew that we needed to do something different. I knew there'd be a change, just either too wimpy or talk yourself out of it or, and it doesn't ever get better. And in fact, back to values, Liz, like if we're working together and I have real questions about whether you're a values fit based on something small that you did, chances are that's going to blow up into something bigger in the future, right? Because if I've overlooked a small judgment thing that you've done, you know, and, and judgment's a real, I think people tend to either have it or not have it, there's likely to be a much bigger poor judgment decision that you made down the line. Now I just sit down, have the conversation, have it honestly. I mean, I mean, I've made that mistake just so many times. There's so many consistent themes here about what it means to be a leader. And it really is, I think, probably a bit of a learning curve. You talked about owning the decision. You talked about the vulnerability. And here you're talking about that not being afraid to make that tough decision comes back to owning that decision. 
and not being afraid to do it. And when that hesitation comes in, really ask yourself, what am I hesitating on? Why am I hesitating? Yeah, and no, it's our, our number one core value. By doing that, I'm not living up to that. And, you know, one of the things people rattle off the culture award and CEO award, like, I'm in the right place doing the right thing. I think we're a great culture. I think we're a great best place to work. I think that's true for about 2% of the population, right? We have a specific set of the way we work, how we work, the speed we work, the values we work by, it's not for everyone. So what I've tried to just get really comfortable about is saying, here's who we are and here's who we're not. I'm not, I'm not gonna try to recruit you here under false preferences. I, I just, right. I think a good company is where the leadership and stuff, what they think, what they say and what they do are actually all aligned. It doesn't mean it's for everyone. If you're running back and the team is gonna be a passing offense, like it's probably not the right team for you. When you think about colleges, there's people who like small rural liberal arts colleges and then there's people who like big university city colleges. There's different fit. And this comes back to that spiritual capacity and what do you want and who are you? You should build a company that's authentic to who you are in your culture. If you're a ex-college athlete who is hyper competitive and just believes in winning and losing, go with that. You'll find people who want to do that. You'll attract the same kind. Don't say, we, oh, we believe in teamwork and all that stuff. If that's not actually <laughs> who you are and what you believe in, there's plenty of people who would come to a culture where it's win-lose and you, you know, a few people make the bonus like because they're driven by the same, same thing. I don't know whether some people just don't know themselves well enough so that they can't create it or whether they're intentionally say things that they know they don't believe because it's they probably don't a combination of both, Bob. I mean, yeah. I really think that there are a lot of people who don't know what their true authentic selves are. So it, yeah. it is kind of, sometimes it's that and sometimes it's the other and sometimes it's a combination of both. You know, there are fears that come into play so that we could, we could go on forever about all of that. I want to get to one more point with you, which is what is your measuring stick when it comes to living your best life and how would you encourage others to live their best life? The measuring stick is a really tricky thing because what I have found with people, Ryan Holiday just wrote some great stuff on this who are high achievers, is they just keep moving the bar on themselves. And actually the thing they thought that would make them really happy, like doesn't. So for me, that comes back to sort of spiritual intellectual capacity, which is if you understand your core values, then you should be picking long-term goals that if fulfilled, basically fulfill your core values so that it's not achievement for achievement's sake. It is achievement for fulfillment of purpose. To get that alignment requires a lot of introspection and a lot of work because I think there's some people who are just running in a direction, don't know what they want, right? And not an underperforming. But I think there's some people achieving at a really high level for something that really doesn't matter to them. That's also kind of an, an empty feeling. I want to write a New York Times bestselling book. Why? Because I think I have an ability to make an impact with a platform and that would really help the platform. So it's really about how much of an impact I can make. If I look at my core purpose and value, like that's what's going to make me really happy, not the arbitrary accomplishment in the short no, term. No, it's, it's the result of what happens. Correct. It's almost that domino effect of if you're able to touch that many people's lives, right. you are really fulfilling your purpose. I've always wondered if I would want my kid to be an Olympic athlete because I think you train your whole life, there's this thing and you either lose and it's done or you win and it's done. 
And there's some rare exceptions like the Miracle on Ice hockey team or Mary Lou Retton or Michael Phelps, but most of the people sort of disappear into oblivion after that peak. And I think it represents, again, thinking that just getting there will make you happy. Well, if you'd like to learn more about Bob, his books, his podcast, or get on his Friday Forward newsletter list, all you need to do is head over to his website, robertblazer.com. That's again, robertblazer.com. Bob, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight today, in particular about leadership and what those values are. I really appreciate that today. Thanks, Liz. It was great to be here. And friends, I invite you to share this episode with Bob and me with anyone whom you feel will benefit right now from Bob's insights. We are absolutely all in this together. And thanks so much for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.